Moms, have you ever felt like a hot mess? Can somebody give a testimony today? A hot mess. Mom, you might have felt like a hot mess if the question, what's for dinner, sounds like a curse word to you, you know? Uh, you, might, you might be a hot mess, Mom, if you've ever asked yourself the question, how many days can I go with using dry shampoo, you know? Or maybe you've asked Alexa to fix breakfast for the family, you know? It's a big indicator that you are a hot mess. Uh, you, you might be a hot mess, Mom, if you consider going to the grocery store by yourself quality alone time, okay? Yes. Or maybe your morning workout is getting your preschooler ready for the day. That's your workout. Or maybe you are a hot mess, Mom, if... All of your home-cooked meals come from a box of the frozen section at the grocery store. Or you also might be a hot mess mom if you believe that after pushing a snooze three times on your phone that an email should be automated to your kid's school telling them that you're going to be late. If you've ever felt some of those things, maybe you are a hot mess mom. The truth is though that a lot of people are hot messes. You don't have to be a mom. Uh, you might be a single person. You might be uh, a dad. You, you might be a student. All of us go through struggles where we feel like a hot mess. And, and today I want to share a little scripture with you that I believe has the potential to radically impact your life and the ability to bring calm and steadiness and hope when you may feel like things are falling apart. Look with me, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 43. The prophet Isaiah, writing 2,700 years ago, is encouraging the people of God because they've been in Babylonian captivity for a number of years. And when you're oppressed and when you're put down and when you're Without hope, it's easy to get discouraged. And, and one of the themes of the book of Isaiah is, is future hope for Israel. And this reveals some things to us about the nature and the heart and the character of God. I don't want you to miss this. This is so powerful. Isaiah chapter 43, addressing these Babylonian exiles, uh, the prophet writes, now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. So there's two, there's two metaphors that are used here in Isaiah 43 to describe people who feel like a hot mess. One of them is the flames, and the other is the waters, the floods, the floods and the fires. And Isaiah uses these metaphors to teach us some things about the heart and the nature of God. 
It kind of reminds me of another experience when the Israelites had when they were dealing with a flood, they were dealing with waters. Uh, Back in the book of Exodus, Moses parts the Red Sea, uh, and the people walk across on dry land. In Joshua chapter 3, the people are inheriting the land of promise, and what happens? The rivers of the Jordan River are once again parted, just like in the days of Moses. Moses and Joshua both parted the waters. And I think that Isaiah is playing on on these metaphors and these stories and traditions of old to remind the people of the faithfulness of God. You know, sometimes you have to go back and remember what God has done to see where God's taking you in the future. And when it talks about the fires, it reminds me of the book of Daniel, the fiery furnace, where the friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, are thrown into that fiery furnace, and yet they are not singed, they are not burned. And we see that fourth person there in the fiery furnace that we believe to be the Lord Jesus Christ, who's standing beside Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Isaiah says, listen, when you go through the flames and when you go through the floods, remember that God cares for you. God cares for you. God cares for you. Look look at verse 1 again. Now, this is what the Lord says. And by the way, a great question that we need to be asking ourselves more is what does God say? Look at that again in verse 1. Now, this is what the Lord says. See, when the floods and the flames come, we ought to be asking, what does God say? I mean, what does God think? What is God's opinion about my relationships? What does God say about my finances? What does God have to say about my future? What does God say about what I am going through? What does God say? Isaiah challenges the people by reminding them that the most important thing is what does God say? And he says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, and you are mine. And he uses the word Lord. Now this is what the Lord says, and there's several words in the Old Testament that we translate Lord. This particular one reveals the covenant name of God. Now, in Scripture, there's a difference between a contract and a, and a covenant. And, and the term that's used here describes the covenant nature of God. Now, if you have ever sold a piece of property, maybe you've sold a house or you've bought a house, you know that you have a contract, right? And you have to put earnest money down by a certain date. And you have inspections. And you have deadlines. And and you have responsibilities. And if you're selling that home, you might have some responsibilities to fix some things up around the house before the close. And if, if either party doesn't keep their end of the deal, the contract can fall apart and it can be void. God is a covenant God. God is a covenant God, meaning that he is driven by relationship. So when we violate God's teachings and standards, God doesn't cancel his contract with us. God is a covenant God. He's relational. And and there's times when we don't hold up our end of the deal, but God doesn't cancel us as his children. Amen? 
God is a covenant God. He's a covenant God. So listen, one of the greatest things that you got to understand if you're going through that, the, the flames and the floods is that God is not going to run out on you. Just, just because maybe you didn't hold up your end of the deal doesn't mean that God's going to abandon you. God is with you. God cares for you. And he's the Lord. He is that covenant God. And that covenant God formed you. Did you know that God formed you even, even before the foundations of the world? God knew exactly what you were going to look like. God knew what your personality was going to be like. And he knew how tall you were going to be. And, and he knew the color of your skin. And, and, and he knew your strengths and your weaknesses. All of that was formed in the divine, the divine plan of God. And, and, and Isaiah is reminding the people, listen, you're not an accident. You were formed by God. And if you have been formed by God, that simply means you're special. You're significant. You're not an accident. You mean something. God has a purpose and, and a plan for, for your life. You've been handcrafted by God. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet said that we've been formed like clay, like a potter on a wheel would form the clay. God has formed and forged us. In Ephesians chapter 2, um, we're described as a masterpiece of God, created for purpose and for reason. And this is kind of hard because a lot of times we look at our lives and we think, well, I would love to make some changes. You know, I remember when I was in the fifth grade, I was going out for the football team and I knew I was going to be competing for the smallest guy on the team, the, the, the title, smallest guy on the team. I weighed 63 pounds going out for fifth grade football. And I had this friend named Eric Massey, and he was about the same size. And I knew that at the weigh-in, at the beginning of the season, where all of our pads and stuff were assigned to us, that, that um, we would be duking it out for the title, the lightest weight player on the team. And I didn't want to be that guy. And so... Um, I remember we weighed in. I weighed in at 63. Unfortunately, my friend weighed in at 65 pounds. And so I was the smallest guy on the team. And I said, Eric, what happened? Why did you gain two pounds? And he said, my dad took me to McDonald's and fed me a big, huge pancake breakfast before weigh-in so that I wouldn't be the smallest guy on the team. And I was so disappointed and so frustrated. And I've spent much of my life just wanting to be bigger, you know, especially as a kid, not so much now, but you know, back in the day, I just wanted to be bigger. I didn't want to be small. I don't want to be the skinniest guy. I want to, I want to be taller. I want to be stronger. I want to be faster. And, 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 and I've, I've, I felt like, you know, a lot of discontent as a kid about that. When I got a little older though, I recognized that that was part of my story. That's the way God formed me. God, God had a plan. I, I wasn't, 63 pounds by accident. God, God had a purpose. God was teaching me to be a fighter. God was teaching me to work hard. God was teaching me to be more disciplined. God was teaching me to not think, take things for granted. And those values and those, those things that, I, I begin, that begin to be frustrations for me as a kid have become values and have become strengths for me on into adulthood. And have helped me start two churches and be a pastor and a leader and a dad and so many other things. It was all in the foreknowledge and the plan of God. 
So listen, don't look at your life today and say, listen, this is all by accident. Or don't think to yourself, God has abandoned me. God knew exactly what he was doing. God formed you. Now, I had two hamburgers this week, two totally different hamburgers. I had a McDonald's hamburger at the airport on Friday, and I watched them put that hamburger together. You know what's so amazing about McDonald's hamburgers? They're remarkably consistent. They're the same every time, right? I literally, I was in Moscow, um, you know, a number of years ago. And the hamburger I had at Mickey D's in Moscow is exactly like the one that I had Friday at the Denver airport. I mean, it's amazing. They're the same. And McDonald's prides themselves on their system. They, they, have, a, they have an order. And, and, you know, they put the, the, the little special sauce on there, and then they slap the two meats on there. And then, you know, if you get a Big Mac, and then if you put cheese, and it's like the same every single time. Now, if you want to mess with people at McDonald's, do a special order. In fact, I ordered a hamburger not too long ago, and I said I don't want any onions, and they punished me by making me wait in the parking lot. It's like, don't mess with the system. If you mess with the system, we're going to punish you, right? And it's all about consistency. I had a different experience. I was over at Bad Daddy's Burgers uh, earlier this week. And Bad Daddy's prides themselves on the customization of burgers. And so if you haven't been there before, they have like 75 different things that you can put on a hamburger. And it's amazing. I mean, it'll wear you out just to look at the menu. But amongst the cheeses, they have classic cheese, house-made American, Swiss cheese, Monterey Jack, Pepper Jack, white cheddar, feta, mozzarella, blue cheese crumbles. And they probably got some special cheeses in the back. I mean, if that didn't float your boat. On the condiments, I printed out part of the menu right here. Here's some options for the condiments, Okay. Um, they got lettuce, tomato, onions, and pickles. Those are predictable. Cattleman's barbecue sauce, and that's trademarked. Amen. <laughs> Chipotle avocado crema. Chipotle ranch, green chilies. Dijon mustard. Okay, not regular mustard, but Dijon mustard. Okay. Duke's mayo. Garlic mayo. Horseradish mayo. Jalapeno ranch, peanut butter. How about that? Anybody ever had a peanut butter burger? That sounds disgusting. That's bad, isn't it? That's real bad. That's real bad. I think they just put that on the menu to be funny. Pickled jalapenos, fresh jalapenos, teriyaki sauce, enchilada sauce. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. They got like, you know, Eight different types of buns. And then the best part, though, is you get to name your burger. I mean, that's the coolest part. And I get really excited about that, you know, because I ordered a turkey burger. And I really thought about this. I, I, it took like five extra minutes for the, the server was getting frustrated with me because he was wanting to put my order. And I'm like, no, I'm thinking of the name, okay? And because I had a turkey burger and I had... Guacamole, which is one of my all-time favorites, and I had Dijon mustard, not regular mustard, and, and some ketchup 
that I could just imagine that was going to be dripping off the burger because it's so thick that you can't even get your mouth around it. And I, and I have a pretty big mouth. I named it the gooey gobbler, the gooey gobbler. And so when they brought it out, you know, they announced to the restaurant the, the name and you like raise your hand like you're at school, you know, like it's me over here. And I was so proud, you know, they, they, the gooey gobbler. I was like, that's me. That's me over here. Bring it over here. And I ate that thing. And I realized that that burger had been designed perfectly and according to my taste. Did you know when you were formed by God that you were fearfully and wonderfully made according to God's divine taste? God customized you. Listen, you're not a Big Mac. You're a bad daddy's burger. There's no two people in this room that are exactly the same. And that was all by the plan and foreknowledge of God. It's beautiful. He says we've been redeemed, not just formed, but redeemed. That means to personally pay the price for us. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus died and rose again on the third day so we could be redeemed. He says you've been called by name, which shows personal interest in us. Uh, God, God knows your name. You know, God doesn't look down from heaven and go, yeah, that's number 8,483,000. Yeah, I know, I know her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. God, God, God knows you by name. When you pray, God knows you by name. When you hurt, God knows you by name. He has called you. He's called you. Now, sometimes I forget people's name as a pastor. I really try to learn everybody's name. I try so hard, but I fall short. And so sometimes I will call people different names. If I don't ever know your name and I'll call you friend or buddy or bro or pal. Actually, I don't say pal. I don't like pal. Um, that means that I probably don't know your name. I mean, or, or I just couldn't think of it right then. And maybe you do the same thing. When you can't think of somebody's name, you use other, other names. In the divine nature of God, God knows your name. He never forgets your name. He knows exactly who you are. He says, I formed you, I redeemed you, I called you. And then he says, most importantly, you are mine. I mean, is there anything more wonderful than that? God cares for you. You are mine. He holds us, he protects us, he guards us, he cares for us. And because of this, this should build our confidence. Listen, I, I, I know you're going through some things today. I know that you may feel like a hot mess, like I don't have everything under control. Things are falling apart at the seams. Remember this, you can be confident because you have been called by God, you have been redeemed, you have been formed, and God is with you, and you belong to him. And because of that, it ought to put a little spring in our step. It ought to put a smile on our face. It ought to remind us of the divine hope that we have. God is the one who cares for us. But it gets even better. Isaiah goes on and he says, not only does God care for you, he says, God is with you. Now, I mean, it's one thing for God to say, I'm for you. Because if somebody says, I'm for you, it kind of implies people are like, you know, giving you a golf clap on the side, right? Right? 
Isaiah goes further than that. He doesn't say that God is for us, although other passages of the Bible say that. But he says something I think that's even more wonderful. God is with you. Do you see it? God's with you. Not just that God's for you. Hey, I wish you all the best. Good luck out there. God's with us. God's with us. Look at this in verse 2. When you pass through the waters, what? Say it with me. I will be with you. I will be with you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched and the flames will not burn you. In other words, nothing can separate us from the presence of God in our lives. Romans chapter 8 elaborates on that a bit more. It says nothing can separate us from the love of God. And this is so wonderful and so powerful. Uh, God is not with you more when you are employed than he is when you are unemployed because God is always with you. Now see, sometimes we have in our mind that like God's with me when things are good, right? If there's money in the bank, everybody's healthy, everybody's doing well, woo, God's with me, God's for me, God's beside me. Something starts, something starts falling apart, there's heartache, there's adversity, there's a problem, there's a conflict, there's a disappointment, where is God? No. God is always with you. God's with you in the flood. God's with you in the fire. And God is with you on the mountaintop when everything's going great. God is remarkably consistent. He's always there. And it doesn't say that God's with us when everything is easy. Actually, he says the opposite. He says God is with you when things are difficult, when things are hard. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Psalm 23 where it says, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff comfort me. Well, in the ancient world, the valley of the shadow of death was actually a real place. It was a, it was a very narrow canyon. There were snakes. There were robbers. There were wild animals. It was a dangerous place to bring the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. But, but. David writing the, the 23rd Psalm uses that as an illustration to make the point that God is always with us, even in those dark moments. And it is his rod and his staff that direct us and protect us. God is the one who's always there with us. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And so we ought to have more confidence. We ought to take more risks. Listen, I'm not talking about being foolish. But I'm just talking about, listen, when you have the divine confidence of God in your life, you will take risks, good risks, that you won't take otherwise. Maybe you've been struggling with a big decision. You're like, should I do it? Should I not do it? Man, if God wants you to do it, you cannot be stopped. You can't do it. Uh, we ought to relax more because we know that God is with us. Maybe you would stop worrying so much if you would remind yourself, God is with me. God cares for me. God is with me. Now, this is echoed all the way through the scriptures. In the, in the gospel of John, John says, you will have tribulation in this life. He says, you will have difficulties. But guess what? God's with you. Job, no one suffered more than Job, lost his family, his health, his possessions, his wealth, his friends, his reputation, 
and, and his friends were telling him, curse God and die. Job wouldn't do it. Why? Because Job knew that God was still with him. Peter was told, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And yet we know Peter from church tradition was crucified upside down. God was still with him. God was still there. God was still there. And when the waters rise, we start swimming. God's with us. And God was with all of them. That's why Hebrews 13, 5 says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God is always there. Uh, oh, if you go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, be strong in the power of his might. Be strong in the power of his might. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because God is with us. And this gives us perseverance. And it keeps, and it helps us to keep fighting and to keep living and to keep dreaming and to, and to keep moving in faith and, and to keep expecting great things to happen in our lives. I love to say this, bonfires are bridges to breakthroughs in your life. Let me say it again. Bonfires are bridges to breakthroughs in your life. Sometimes that fire or that flood in that situation, God will develop some things in you that would not be developed otherwise. So the bonfire is a bridge to a breakthrough in your life. Um, what does this, this wave or this fire teach me about myself? Or what does it teach me about my purpose? Or what, does, what is God trying to say to me in and through this circumstance that I'm in? The reason that I'm an encouraging pastor is because I've been through some things. I get it. I get it. Every week I'm sharing with you the word of God, but I'm also sharing with you the word of God along with some experiences that I've been through because I've seen some big flames. And I've swam in some deep waters. Amen? Some of you have too. You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever read a Bible passage before and you're like, hmm, what does that mean? And then all of a sudden the, the floods start rising and you're like, oh, that's what he meant. I got it. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> that makes sense to me now. I didn't get it before. It's clicking. It's clicking. Don't be afraid of the flames and the floods. That's part of the divine process of God to build faith in your life. And he says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Don't worry. I'll be there. I'm not leaving you alone. In fact, for many of us, your misery will become your ministry. Do you know that? You've been through a bankruptcy? Guess what? You have a ministry. You have a ministry to people who are hurting financially. You, you get some things. You've been there. You swam in the deep waters. You've been through a divorce before? Guess what? Your misery, your pain becomes your ministry. So, so don't run away from the pain. Don't be angry and hostile about the pain. That's just God's process of developing you and building you into the person that he desires for you to be. Your, your misery will become your ministry. It always works that way. I grew up 
loving to swim in the deep end of the swimming pool. I have a lot of concern today about the youth of our country. Everything is too safe. I mean, you know, you go to the swimming pool today and they're, you know, everybody's like, what's well, a party pool? It's 18 inches deep, you know? <laughs> everybody's safe, you know? I'm like, where's the deep end? Where's the deep end? Kids wear helmets while they ride bikes. I'm telling you, I would have gotten beaten up in my neighborhood if I was wearing a bike helmet. Nets around trampolines. Everybody's like, you have to be safe. Some of the neighbor's kids were not allowed to jump on our trampoline because we didn't have a net, you know. I was like, when I grew up as a kid, like if you jumped in the wrong place and ended up in the neighbor's yard, it sucks to be you. You know, get up and do it again. Come on, man. Everything's so safe. We used to have the high diving boards, man, as a kid. I don't even know if some people even know what those are anymore. Do you guys know what a high dive is? I don't ever see them anymore. I'm not kidding. At youth camp with our church, we used to have a belly flop contest off the high dive. Now, is that a lawsuit waiting to happen? Back in the day, it was cool, man. It was cool. I remember this one kid was on my, on my team, and I, you know, I wasn't foolish enough to get up and do that, but we had one kid that he wasn't so smart, and he decided to do that. And I was like, how was it? He was like, I can't feel my face. You know, I'm like, well, no doubt. Everybody celebrated that. That was cool, you know. Way to go, man. Way to go, bro. Better you than me, you know. I'm going to belly flop off the high dive. Everything's so safe. Everybody's afraid of the deep water. Well, it kind of reminds me um, of the kiddie pool. We used to have one of these when my kids were small. Anybody ever have a kiddie pool? Anybody? Kiddie pools are awesome. Kiddie pools are really fun. Kiddie pools are great because you can put a little water in there and you can put like a little toddler or a little preschool or something in there and they can, they can play and they can have a good time. It's really fun. How weird would it be, though, if you came over to my house and, and this summer and, and you said, hey, where's Pastor Ryan? And, 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 and somebody said, oh, he's in the backyard. He's in the kiddie pool, you know? And what if I was, like, you know, chilling in the backyard like this? Can somebody bring me a lemonade? <laughs> Having a great time splashing around a little bit in the kiddie pool. Soaking up some rays, wearing some shades, you know? Enjoy that Colorado living in the kiddie pool. You would think, that's a little odd. That's a little odd. You would think it was odd if I said, here, pull up another kiddie pool and sit here and let's converse as we enjoy the rays and as we enjoy some swimming. It'd be a little strange. It would be, wouldn't it? When it comes to faith, a lot of times people are sitting in the kiddie pool. A lot of times we like it when the water is like 18 inches deep. We feel like we're really growing, you know, like, man, I really got great faith. I put my toe in the kiddie pool. <laughs> Isaiah the prophet says, listen, when the water is rising, when you're in the deep end, when the struggle is real, when life is hard, 
I will be with you. And your faith is not forged in the kiddie pool. Your faith is forged in the deep end. So we need to stop praying, God, just get me out of this situation. We need to be praying, God, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to do in my life in the deep end? The greatest rescues are performed in the deepest waters. And we need to be asking God, God, what do you what do you want to do in my life? You're not weird because you're going through stuff. That's just part of God's process of bringing you along. The flames that you're facing, that doesn't make you that doesn't make you a bad person. That just means God's doing something different in your life. You're going through a season of it. You know, life is about seasons. Sometimes there's hard seasons, sometimes there's easy seasons. Sometimes there's seasons that are kind of in the middle. Life is about seasons. But when the flames are intense and when the water is deep, we have to dig down deep in our soul, in our spirit, and be reminded that God is with me and God cares for me. I'm not abandoned. I'm not alone. God's with me. God's with me. So if you feel like a hot mess today, you got two great promises from God. God really cares, and God is always there. He really is. And when those are the mantra of our life, it gives us the courage and the faith and the vitality to keep swimming and to keep fighting and to keep going. Let's pray together for just a moment. Would you bow your heart and your head with me?